0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. Today, we are thrilled to feature Ryan Perkey on the show. Ryan is a seasoned technology executive with over 20 years of diverse leadership experience. Beginning his career at an SEO startup, he has played a pivotal role in driving success for renowned clients such as Home Depot, Victoria's Secret, and Warner Brothers. Notably, Ryan served as the head of digital at Tanner DeWitt, a prominent Hong Kong law firm. During our conversation with Ryan, we talk about his experience driving digital transformation at Tanner DeWitt during the pandemic. We discuss the unique considerations for professional services firms in digital marketing, the importance of building rapport with potential clients, and the challenges and opportunities for digital transformation in established industries. We also dig into why there is a need for these industries to modernize and adapt in order to stay competitive. We wrap up our conversation by grabbing our well-used crystal ball and look into the future of the digital marketing industry over the next five years. Enjoy.
1: It's a hype cycle, but it's a hype cycle with teeth. We're definitely feeling the spike of the initial thrust of it. But, you know, going back a decade prior, same as, as mobile. Like the iPhone came out, huge spike, like it changed the game. All the other phones shifted to that kind of format and mobile took off and the network that supported mobile took off like China specifically more or less skipped having a wired Internet. They have lived on a mobile wireless Internet for pretty much the entire lifetime of Internet. And then prior to mobile... Was the internet. So, like in the US, like that shift in the early 2000s, the businesses going online, everything else, huge spike, but it has teeth, it has legs. It's gonna carry forward through the next decade, decade plus.
0: My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here. First, as we usually do, put yourself on the map. Where in the world are we recording you from today? Colin from Hong Kong. You can probably see it in the background. You're in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's a steamy
1: Hong Kong day. Summer's kicking in and uh, bringing rain, apparently
0: yes i do remember those lovely lovely springs and summers when i was in shanghai uh it seemed a lot but yeah the humidity in that area of the world uh is uh is epic yeah uh you really (laughs) have to go to experience it okay great well tell us a little bit about how you ended up in that area of the world i'm originally from the u.s and uh, that's where i got my start in the career and then um
1: Went abroad in about 2011 and started out in Mexico, uh, working remotely from there. I kind of got the digital nomad bug and and did that pretty early on. And so I was consulting clients back in the U.S. and a couple in Mexico. And then prior to coming to Asia, I got the uh, Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation their business travel program. So I got on the, on board that and then came to Bangkok in 2017, and then halfway through that year, Shanghai. And then 2019,
0: August, came to Hong Kong. So now that we know how you got there, give us a bit of an introduction into who you are and the work that you do. Yeah. So I got my start in marketing
1: as a digital native back in 2000. So like you said, uh, with an SEO startup, I was person number four in a four-person company back then. And uh, that's when we're working with like Victoria's Secrets, Home Depot, Warner Brothers, all of those. That was the early days of of the internet. And I remember Home Depot's homepage looked just like Google's more or less. So replace the word Google with Home Depot. And the first thing you would type in would be your zip code. In the U.S., and then that would send you to whichever store was the closest and give you the relevant items that you could buy, and then you you still have to go to the store to pick them up. So people are still trying to figure out just how to utilize the internet. Um, but that's that's what I started with. I was still yet to graduate from university and just began with my feet in the fire. Then worked for several more agencies and then went in house eventually with um, Cornerstone On Demand, which was more or less
0: my shift to uh, B2B, professional services, all that. Can you tell us a little bit about your recent stint with Tanner DeWitt? Because that's a law firm. What were you doing there? (laughs) Yeah. Well,
1: so working in an agency in the beginning, I was pretty much industry agnostic. Like it didn't really didn't really matter. And I was actually a client of the law firm in Shanghai uh, because there's businesses that were incorporated in Hong Kong, everything else. So, uh, was a client with them. And then they were looking to do a shift to, uh, digital marketing, digital transformation. And, uh, you know, based on stuff in Shanghai, I was like, Oh, I, I know a guy that might have time on his hands. And so went down there in June, 2019, interviewed with
0: them and then joined the firm in August, 2019. I have to understand about your experience. I need to know what what it was like driving that firm's digital transformation during the pandemic. I also would like to know, are there unique considerations for professional services like law firms and and other kind of legal practice entities when it comes to digital marketing and transformation?
1: So the the shift was it just felt like this. The the startup days almost because we were like all locked in an office, (laughs) like very nobody's traveling, nobody's going to events, nobody's doing conferences or anything like that. Uh, I went out to Kowloon and ran around a bunch of camera shops because, you know, with all the outages on Teams and Zooms and everything on the early days of the pandemic, uh, it was very easy to see that video was going to become the thing. So went to camera shops, got lighting equipment, got a camera, got a Blackmagic switch, an ATM mini, uh, hooked up all this stuff and then started sitting lawyers down in front of the camera. And um, it was just straight out of the office. Background was Nice, so you could see uh, the bay and everything else on the, you know, the classic Hong Kong skyline. Uh, So you had a good, good setting, um, and yeah, pulled it off. It also helped them launch a video content channel. They could post stuff to YouTube. They could post stuff to LinkedIn, and all that became much more uh, person centric uh, Mm -hmm. instead of just a, you know, a firm presence. They it was the the partners at the firm. So in some ways, the the pandemic definitely cut down the FaceTime with people. But in some ways, it really pushed it forward because we were able to pivot so quickly to high-quality video production, recording, uh, all of that. So, um, yeah, and then double down on the classic stuff, like SEO, get the website running well, uh, get the conversions there, the inquiries moving through the funnel well, all that
0: sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, we just kind of buckled down. I was going to say, because when you put a lot of work into... Filling the funnel, obviously through the content, the funnel has to be streamlined and not have any glitches or pinch points. I want to go back and just inquire about those early conversations around doing something that they I'm assuming hadn't been doing before because you even had to buy the equipment. What would a legal firm be basing the ROI of having you get the equipment and do these things, what would they be looking for? And you can talk about reaching audience and, 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 and what have you. And how did that conversation go? Was it pushed uh, by you forward or were you pulled by them or something in between? I think it was, it was a push and pull. There was there was from both sides. Uh, it was it was sort of obvious
1: that it was something that had to be done. And then it wasn't cost prohibitive. We're not like yeah. talking studio equipment. We're talking like a Sony uh, camera that just was better than a webcam. You know, yeah. it's better than somebody sitting on their laptop. It's like a camcorder. Talking to this. Exactly. Like yeah. they're not talking to a little pinhole camera. They're talking to an actual camera, actual lights, all that stuff. So we're talking like U.S. a few thousand dollars. In order to to do all that. And then from their perspective, they still want to look as professional as possible. You know, it's it's a it's a realm where having gray hair is is a good thing in a lot of cases. You know, they they want their clientele wants somebody that's seasoned, uh knows the law backwards and forwards, you know, suit and tie, looking nice, presentable, able to present, etc. And so all of that was made that, that like that professional setting transition very obvious that they were like, yeah, we need to, we need to buckle down and do this since we can't do the other. And you it would, it'd be seen on the, I'd be helping run the, the webinar or whatever. And the comments from, the people that they were meeting with, like pre-recording everything else, it would be like, where are you? You know, like you in some sort of studio. And they'd turn the, le- the camera around or like have their phone out and like show me like behind a camera and some lights. And they're like, oh, you're in your office? No way.
0: And so the quality, the quality paid dividends, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. So if I boil that down, would you say that it was about building rapport and someone who was going to be... <laughs> I don't know. Humanly available? Were yeah. someone to reach out? I mean, I'm wondering what those points were that they may have wanted to hit on, as far as outcomes, or at least what you were gathering if you had the data. And I'm not assuming yeah. that you did have the data. It might have <laughs> been a little bit of like trial and error. Yeah. But yeah, once customers maybe you start to figure out that this is something, and I'm and I want to target that question at that area of the world would. Yeah the potential clients or the cache they wanted to build or whatever it was. Yeah. Talk about how important that can be in that area of the world for the firm that you were working for. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, that's an interesting part of like the B2B aspect of it. Cause you're dealing with much smaller numbers and a customer slash client of a law firm is often another lawyer at another law firm. And so you're, you're getting those customers and clients because it's just a jurisdictional difference. Like they're in Canada, they're in the US, but they have some business that they need to do in Hong Kong and they need a local on the ground lawyer uh, to represent that interest. And so it's often lawyers dealing with other lawyers as a functional law firm work, uh, especially for the non contentious stuff. So uh, any sort of corporate contractual, you know, agreeable sort of work is, is done most often between lawyers to other lawyers. Where you get... Uh, something that's more customer based in the classic sense would be like family law or employment law or uh, some sort of litigation where it's, you know, just based on need and transactional immigration, that kind of thing. And, and those, the, the video content was less suited for it because it was more so like, yeah, thought leadership to other lawyers in either that jurisdiction or other jurisdictions. Cause the other thing that happens with lawyers is, A firm will get an inquiry and they'll be conflicted out. They'll just already be representing the other side or some other aspect. And so they will send that inquiry straight on to another firm that they're friendly with, knowing that, you know, they just can't represent like due to the regulatory framework. They just can't represent that person, but they want to see that that person gets good representation and is with a professional outfit. So all of those things like psychologically looking good on video and being presentable pay dividends in
0: that way. I'm going to maybe ask for your outsider's opinion about maybe what you expected about the law or just legal framework or things that, that went on. And I'm talking yeah. a little bit extra here to give you some time to think about yeah, what, yeah, yeah. buying you a little bit of time because I know I'm throwing this at you, but I'm curious, like just remember. just from that layman kind of uh, you know, just you know, being in in Asia and coming from a different culture, obviously a very litigious culture, <laughs> and then you're 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 now watching from the sidelines a little bit this similar area of of law and legal activity what did you find? Just so you know, i I'm very broad and open, but what was surprising to you? What was interesting to you? What did you notice? A ton of stakeholders.
1: And that's just due to the structure of law firms. So it's partnerships typically. And especially in Hong Kong, um, in some places, a, a law firm can be owned by a non-lawyer. In Hong Kong, it's the um, law society and everybody that's a partner or uh, a leader in the law firm has to be a lawyer. So that's that's part of it. So you're you're always needing buy-in for the projects that get pushed forward from the partnership, and maybe they'll distill it down to two, three, four partners that run up a project based on what they're trying to do. Uh, but it still has to get like the go-ahead across the wider the wider partnership, and that's something that that carries over to the accountancy firms and and other places that you really have to sort of find your your champions if you're if you're trying to do something in that regard. So. It's a lot of a lot of that, where it's like figuring out the buy-in in terms of like cultural and everything else. It's it's a fairly international law firm uh, in the sense that there's Hong Kong local working there, um, mainland China, UK, uh, pretty much all the United Kingdom countries are represented by somebody at the law firm Canada, etc. So you have a really diverse mix of people in that regard. But yeah, it's like the funnel is actually very flat because like I said, if you have a firm that's conflicted out and then they pitch it over to you, there's not really any sort of like customer process. It's just like, yeah, we recommend these people and they're like, oh, well, can we use them? And there's no conflict. And there's like, yes, there's no conflict. Okay, fine. (laughs) So, so like a a funnel can be very flat in a law firm, but the, uh, the decisions that get made are very uh, deliberate. Like that side of it is much longer funnel than the actual, like, Customer's client contact made an inquiry. Now they're now they're like paying the client. You know so that that process is much quicker than than the other side of it. Like the ethos, uh, like move fast and break things. That's like that's not a law firm. <laughs> that's not that's not like a CPA firm or anything else. Like they that yeah they don't. That's not their mentality. They don't want to do that because break things to that level at one of those firms means the firm could blow up. Like if you represent somebody that you're not allowed to, and move forward with that, and you know, yeah, that can blow up a law firm. So
0: that's true. I mean, it is not <laughs> like it is in startup land where that whole no. mantra kind of really came from. Uh, you know, where yeah. Airbnb and and Uber are just breaking every known bylaw in San Francisco, but. <laughs> it takes them forever to catch up. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. Okay. Um, we have to talk about our quadrant, um, seems to have evolved uh, quite a bit since its inception. Um, going kind of from a digital consultancy to more of a professional development focused platform. Can you elaborate? Tell me about its story in that evolution. Yeah. Yeah. So it housed my work when I went independent and
1: started doing consultancy for uh, startups, usually startups in the range of 1 million to 10 million ARR. Like they had traction. Uh, Their marketing was usually like CEO driven. Um, You know, they, they didn't have dedicated staff for some of the bigger marketing stuff. And then additionally to that, like they're, they had gaps in their channels. So that was my sweet spot for consulting. Uh, and that's what I did with our quadrant. So I housed all that there, like all my credentials, everything else stayed in there. But then like the most recent shift in, into AI really is really pressing on everybody's need to, to like develop and to keep pace with it. Like I've had conversations with people that work at like AI driven firms and they're, even they feel like, yeah, it's, the pace of it is, is a little overwhelming. And so I think it's that, that assurance that, hey, it's another thing, it's another wave, it's another shift, but we can do the same things that we had to do when we learned how to sell on the internet and put a website on the internet, and like represent our business online, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like AI will be another
0: factor that, that if we learn how to use it well, well, we'll do well. Has it just gained so much gravitational force that it's not just pulling people uh, or developers but it's pulling decisions it's it's pulling product um new product invention and and inception it just seems this is what everybody wants to talk about this is what everybody wants to get into i mean does it just really actually have that much mass and gravity over there yeah well it, here and there, like all
1: around. I mean, it's, it's a it's a hype cycle, but it's a hype cycle with teeth, right? So we're, we're definitely feeling the spike of the initial thrust of it. But, you know, going back a decade prior, same as, as mobile. Like the iPhone came out, huge spike, like it changed the game. All the other phones shifted to that kind of format and mobile took off. And the network that supported mobile took off. Like China specifically, more or less skipped having a wired internet. They they have lived on a mobile wireless internet for pretty much the entire lifetime of internet. And then prior to mobile was the internet. So like in the US, like that shift in the early 2000s to businesses going online, everything else, like huge spike, but it has teeth, it has legs. It's going to, yeah, carry forward through the next decade, decade plus that, you know, some aspects of AI will definitely have a very, very long tail.
0: It's 100% true. I remember I was there. So I landed in 2007. So I got to walk around offices and office buildings and go in and see the fact that there was desktop computers, which were immediately cost prohibitive to have everywhere. And internet infrastructure to be able to penetrate, you know, for for 1.4 billion people was just never going to happen. It, it would be like asking them, you know, for, for bank transformation, um, which we now know they, they're just going internet banking and then they give the licenses in WeBank and all the rest of them. You know, I mean, it's just China's fantastic in particular. Not that we're, you know, all of Asia really is. But when China ends up realizing they're at the back of the line on something, they just form a new line. They don't wait and just get there. They're like, mm, now, OK, forget it. We're not, that's not let's just go start something brand new at the front and we'll start our own line and be at the front. And they do a lot of that. It's, it's pretty funny. I mean, okay, iPhones are too expensive, uh, the whole Shantai movement, and they're just peak, you know, it was it was kind of like Dell for, for for cell phones, and you could just pick and pack and piece it all together and ship it off. And it's, you know, 20 bucks. They're fantastic at that. I appreciate it a lot, that whole entrepreneurial creativity part. And all that leads into the next question I want to ask you, which was, what you believe to be the most significant challenges in the current digital transformation landscape outside of the gravity thing around AI that I just mentioned. You can't use that. I've already talked about it, particularly in APAC. Go. I think there's there's still huge gaps in in terms of
1: firms that have just kind of ignored it. Um, law firms, CPAs, family offices. There's really established industries that have just, carried on on paper for decades. <laughs> it's like, like, yeah, we don't, we didn't see the need. And then the pandemic shows up and it's like, Oh yeah, if we can't work when we're not in the office, uh, that might be a problem. And so there's more so than, than challenges. It's like huge opportunity to get those firms uh, to modernize, um, in a way that does work with the way people work. And, and part of that will be mobile. So like, uh, with, with, Uh, Tanner DeWitt specifically, like my day one there, I was handed a package, uh, like a stack of papers from a marketing assistant that was um, researching CRMs because the partnership saw the need to to have a CRM, HRM, etc. And since it was CRM, HRM, file sharing, secure file sharing with clients, mobile um, analytics, everything else, the pretty much de facto choice was uh, Zoho and Zoho One. Uh, The platform where back in 2017, they unified their entire business suite. So you can pay a flat monthly per person fee to have HRM access, have analytics access, CRM, etc. for everybody. And so that was pretty much the early pitch after that day one packet. I met with some of the partners and I was like, well, there's Salesforce, there's dynamics and, but you want to do all of that and more. So let me show you Soho. And so it was like, yeah, it was pretty much straight away, like out of the gate. But so now we're in an environment like that kind of platform exists and other, other companies are doing that too. Like Google, et cetera, are, are unifying their business suite. So all of that exists, but there's not, a huge wealth of people that implement across the business suite. That's still a need. And maybe AI will power that, like they'll enable small teams to handle that kind of implementation and development either in-house or as consultants. So I think we'll see a diversification of advisory consultants that not only advise, but can get to a minimum viable or very viable product and say, yeah, we think you should, should do this. and. Here's how it would work, and here's an early test case. And so instead of saying, you know, here's the packet, read this, go that route, we think that's what you should do, uh, there'll be firms that just say, yeah, yeah, we'll
0: we'll get that underway and and see how it applies in your world. You used a different term almost in place of me saying digital transformation. You said modernization. And I am, it, it was curious to me interesting to me. And I I maybe wanted to ask you a favor, if I could ask you another question to go in on that about what is the same, but what is different? How would you interchange digital transformation with modernization? And how would you maybe see areas or technologies or companies that you would prefer to use one or the other? I think it's a, it's almost like probably my marketing brain trying to
1: sell it. It's because that word sells better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they can see it themselves. Like in one hand, they have their phone that they just upgraded, you know, the previous day. And then in their other hand, they have a stack of papers that is an ledger that they've done the same way. And they can't like, you know, they can get their email on their phone and do their calls and do a FaceTime and everything else, but they can't like plug in that aspect of their business into something that that's that natively mobile for them. So they really understand, okay, like half of me is modern, half of me isn't. And I should probably try to modernize this too, so that I'm more mobile and can do what I want to do where I want to do it. And I think that's a a thing that is definitely relevant in APAC is just people like to travel. They like to get around. They don't want to be where they are all the time. They want to, especially hub like Hong Kong, they want to get in, they want to get out. They want to enjoy it while they're here and then you know go ski in Japan and something like that so they know the mindset and they know the aspects of, of their business that is not transformed into
0: something different it's just modernized. so I think that's probably why I shifted over to that direction generally speaking are the firms the clients those that you've worked with there if they're not there yet which leads me to believe that there's probably some reason why they aren't or weren't how much work do you have to do to get them to be there? Or are you coming in after they've already decided that they do need to do something and now you're the guy. So you get to come in or are you kind of going in and maybe you have to do a little selling or massaging, even though they might have an idea where they need to go. It's like one tenth of what they actually need and you need to get them to do more. Yeah. Well, for those professional services
1: firms, there is a bit of push uh, external to them on the regulatory side. So, You know, if they know that their conflict search isn't very robust because it's like they have to just go through the minds of the other partners and like do a sniff test of like, oh yeah, is anybody working on a client that might conflict with? Versus being able to actually look at the data and see what kind of business has been done with the the names that they enter. You know, that's two different things. And so, the regulators want to see something that says, oh, okay, like were you thorough? Can you have a A track record if there is any issue and they want to be thorough so that again like back to that thing of move fast and break things, they want to be diligent and have everything work (laughs) so so they, they see it, they see that need to be you know, they can go to Google and they can type something in and find a result, right? But in their own business, they can't just as readily go through all their paperwork and find, oh yeah, the digital solution. On the other side of that too, courts are shifting to um, e-discovery and e-document packets, e-packets for court where it's all digital because same thing, uh, judge doesn't want to have to like flip through tabs and go to this page. In most cases, they want to just be able to type it in, search for it, find a keyword, do their deep dive that way. Uh, instead of, you know, because people have been used to that in another aspect of their lives, they want it to carry over into, to the work aspects of their life. Thank you for that. Thank
0: you for that. Um, And now all of that really segues well into the next question about how you've really grown up alongside the digital marketing space. I did not, because believe it or not, I'm pre-internet. But (laughs) (laughs) where do you see this industry headed in the next five
1: years? I think it's just going to continue to decentralize and diversify. So, you know, I, I'm old enough that I remember like broadcast channels, you know, we had three TV channels or four or five. Oh, yeah. You're and so that, old. You know, if you wanted to watch TV, that's what it was. Right. And then cable comes along and then now it's influencers on pick your video platform. Right. So I think in the next five years, we'll have a lot more consultancies, professional services, that type of provider that, has a background very specific and close to the, to the client that they're serving. So it would be like technology lawyers that are helping you implement your technology at your firm. And they, they become a an agency in and of themselves and they're perfectly happy having a dozen or so clients that are all of similar background, et cetera. And yeah, they just get it done because the the stuff that's more rote um, you know, like, you don't have to be able to know regex to type regex with chat GPT, right? You can say, hey, I want to accomplish this, write the regex for it. Uh, and the, it'll put out the regu- regular expression of whatever it is you need it to do in order to accomplish your goal. Same thing with like data lookups and everything else. So as these platforms become easier to use and there's more direct tutorage and handholding from AI, I think what you'll get is... You know, what face do you like to interact with? Like, what person do you like to spend time with in order to accomplish your business goals? Because that'll be the person that heads up that kind of consultancy.
0: Uh, that's, that's a lot of scary. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of uh, uh, difficult uh, to imagine. That's, oh my goodness. Uh, that's a lot. Maybe the I mean, tail end of the five years. <laughs> well, I, yeah. I mean, we're talking, you know, even the, the age... Anecdotes, uh, you know what I'm saying. You know, I, I mean, nothing befuddled me more than looking at my son who owns the video game that he's watching somebody else play. And I would say to him, "I'm like, so you're watching somebody play a game that you actually own and could go play yourself right now, but you're choosing to watch it." And, and I, and and that always confounded me until he just one day, without even you know, skipping a beat. He just goes, because I get better faster watching other players who know what they're doing play. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go back to my old man (laughs) cave or whatever room in the back, and I have not challenged him since. Well, that's pretty awesome. I really appreciate that. And we, As we've also been known to do on this podcast is we'd like to know who in your network, who do you know, who are you totally willing to throw under the audio and video bus here and call them out and uh, say, you know what? These are three people or two people that I really admire in their space. And I think they'd make awesome guests. You're not, of course, saying that they will come on or that you <laughs> talk to them. But you're just like, these are people I admire who I would even appreciate listening to on the show. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, one I worked with uh, very directly is Paul Lin uh, in Shanghai. Uh, he's doing... Teaching right now, a uh, professor uh, via NYU in Shanghai, uh, but huge, huge wealth of marketing background. I'm like, yeah, he's a smart guy. Yeah, yeah, you probably do. Uh, another one's uh, John Sinkey. Uh, he was like a mentor to me when I first came to Hong Kong. And then he went from Hong Kong to Shanghai and he works with uh, Disney and does a lot of their uh, like multifaceted approach to uh, like combining e commerce with like. At the at the park commerce and, and that that realm of Odo. Which oh, is that would be good.
0: Yeah. yeah. I've always wanted to talk to somebody from Disney because. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Like the way they yeah. entered Asia. OK, yes, I know it's in Japan. I've actually been there it's four hours to get on the Matterhorn, but I've been to Disneyland in Tokyo. Um, but. Yeah, it's very different. Um, and and the way they entered and the deal they did with China and how things operate, that would be fantastic. I, I would love that. So, yeah, we're yeah. going to yank those two names out. And then we're, <laughs> we're going to totally throw you under the bus and just say, Ryan, you yeah. do this. I don't know why. But those are great. Those are great. Ryan, I know you're a busy guy. I know you got to get going. I really appreciate you being on the show. Perfect. Thanks, Todd. Take care. Okay, so for everybody who's watching us on the video, don't forget that we have the audio only podcast on Spotify and Google Play and Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcast platforms. We're out there. And for those of you listening to us on the audio and want to see Ryan and I having this conversation that we just had, don't forget to go to the WPIC YouTube channel and you'll find all the clips and all the shorts over there. But for now, from me and for Ryan, we bid you adieu and hope to see you next time growing a company is hard doing it in a foreign market exponentially so the best piece of advice i can give you is not to do it alone when you start looking at the asia pacific region for further expansion possibilities and i sincerely hope you do make sure you choose the right partners to do it with